0: You hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop? How about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood.
1: Do children need both a mother and a father in order to grow up to be healthy, vibrant contributors to society? Do children who grow up with two moms or two dads grow up disadvantaged? On today's Queer Money, we talk with Sonara Four, who is the daughter of two lesbians. Sonara shares with us her story of growing up in a home with two moms. As a recent graduate of the University of Akron and a current student of the Certified Financial Professional Program, Sonara also shares why and how she became interested in financial planning as a career. MassMutual is sponsoring Queer Money, because MassMutual supports the LGBT community. If you need financial assistance, please visit MassMutual.com. There's personal
0: finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money.
1: All right. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. I'm especially excited for this podcast. So we have our guest on today, Snara Four. She is the daughter of two lesbians. And a lot of people in our community are talking about having children or have children. And there seems to be this debate, constant debate in our country of of how Life is for the children who are born and raised in um, LGBT households, and so we wanted to talk with somebody and give us her experience, firsthand experience. We met Sonara for at a uh, University of Akron Diversity and Women's Symposium a uh, couple months back, and uh, she is a recent college grad of the University of Akron, and she is taking her CFP and getting into one of our favorite careers, financial, personal, uh, finance, I'll say. don't know exactly where she's um, pinned down her career. So um, welcome, Sonara.
2: Thank you guys so much. I appreciate that introduction.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for for joining us. Um, So do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of background on who you are?
2: Yeah. So again, my name is Sonara Four. I'm a daughter of two lesbians. I was adopted from China at nine months old. Um, My one mother, Patty, and then I have another mother, Melissa. I know (laughs) in my experience, when I say mom, everybody asks who, so I might refer to them by first name if it's a little bit easier to keep track of who's who (laughs) in the story. But yeah, so I was adopted from China. And my experience, my background uh, growing up is kind of unique in what led me to financial planning um, and kind of helped me choose my major in college. So when I was younger, we had a really what I would consider a normal childhood. For me, it didn't seem anything was different until I started reflecting and looking back and I realized there's a lot of moments in my life that kind of led me to financial planning because of being raised by two lesbian mothers. So I can remember a time, I think it was when I was in first or second grade, where my my legal mother by uh legally would be Patty, but my other mother, Melissa, she writes. So I remember, you know, having to be picked up earlier for a doctor's appointment or something. And I remember You know, the assistant saying, Oh, like, who are you to this child? Like, you can't just take her from school. And so I remember that from an early age. And being a kid, then I didn't really think much of it, but I started picking up on things as I got older, you know, power of attorney, estate planning, you know, simple things that maybe straight couples with children didn't have to deal with because they were just automatically, you know, a biological mother or father to a child. So those were some of the experiences I had that kind of were, I guess, little hints in my life to drive me to financial planning. I also, our family, about uh, the junior year of my high school year, my family started to kind of fall apart financially. So my mother actually went through bankruptcy um, and we lost our house. And that's what really led me to the University of Akron because at that point, I I wanted to go to college, but the financial problem of actually supporting myself and paying for tuition. So what led me to the University of Akron was um, the great faculty members. And um, one of the recruiters, was she helped me, you know, get to the University of Akron, you know, get into the honors college, make sure I knew the steps around financial aids, And I basically got a full ride to the University of Akron and with many scholarships and help from the teachers and professors there. And I'm essentially gonna graduate with a very little debt. And that was a big goal of mine, especially knowing the financial burdens that my parents had just gone through, knowing that I was even lucky enough to go to college and then being able to graduate. So that's just kind of a brief history to where I'm now, which is at Mass Mutual, working with three financial advisors and kind of just learning the ins and outs of the business from paperwork to meeting with clients and building those relationships. And more importantly, which I love is actually educating the client. So, I love sitting down with clients and just watching them kind of connect with, you know, proposals we have or ideas or ways to help them really reach whatever goals they have or whatever dreams they'd like to fulfill in retirement. So, that's why I've chosen financial planning and why I'm so passionate about it.
1: That's great. That's awesome. So, great. Thank you very much. That's that's a very interesting. I'm sorry. I'm going to just jump in here, Sonara. I, I think that's
0: um fascinating to me that at a very young age... You were exposed to to some financial circumstances that not everyone gets exposed to, and instead of making it a negative thing in your life, you've turned it into a positive thing. Um, and I think that that's a very not just courageous, but I think also very opportunistic of you. That that that's a good thing that you're looking at this as a great way for you to help other people. And your family not have to deal with situations like that. So commend you on that. That's awesome.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: Absolutely. So, can we take a, just a step back a little bit? You know, so you you said earlier that you know growing up in a household with two moms didn't really stand out to you as anything different. Um, when did you start to realize that there was a difference? And, and what sort of experiences did you have that made you identify that?
2: I think it comes from and people from diverse backgrounds. I think it's. Never actually not feeling like you fit in or not feeling quote unquote normal. It's when other people start to pick it out. So in school, when you, you know, bring your parents in or my two moms would come, other kids would never say a comment, wouldn't be rude about it. It's usually, unfortunately, came from other parents. So <laughs> there'd always be, you know, that house I couldn't go over to or we couldn't have kids at our house for, you know, because of some odd reason, which was pretty much fake. So I guess when I was little, I didn't really catch on to it until um, probably about now, like my college experience, like looking back at those little things that occurred in my life, I didn't really realize that was like kind of discrimination and homophobia at that point.
1: Right. But your parents apparently did a good job of kind of shielding you from that.
2: Yeah, they were always very open about my background, being adopted. Uh, my sister's also adopted from China. They explained, you know, you know, when two people love each other, it doesn't matter. So there really weren't a lot of boundaries growing up. It was really just a house full of just knowledge. And just when I had a question, they tried the best to either answer it or find a really good source to help explain it. And so I think that's also what pushed me into financial planning and never thinking that it's a male dominant field and yeah. specifically because at that my parents had just pretty much told me, you know, what do you want to do? Oh, you like this? Go ahead and try this. If it doesn't work out, why didn't it work out? So they were always really supportive and I never felt kind of boxed into one career or one skill I had to have.
1: Right. That's great. So I, I imagine that growing up in, an, in a household with that kind of open-mindedness just kind of made you think you could do everything or anything.
2: Yeah, it was really encouraging growing up, especially, I guess, again, I didn't realize it at the time, but my both my moms were really, really um, involved in HIV AIDS organizations um, in our local area, Canton, Ohio. And so I was just exposed to a lot of different community events, People, you know, working hard, working to better themselves, help others. So it was just a, a good place to be in growing up.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. What what did you do during um, when you were growing up? Were you in any sports? Were you in any scholarship associations?
2: Yeah. So growing up, I had kind of a unique situation. And again, I, I have both my moms to thank, but I went to PCMS. It's a Montessori school. It's a little bit different than your average public school in the sense that you kind of get to work at your own pace, you get to find things that you're passionate about, and challenging, it's kind of think about like a college experience where you have more freedom, but you're still learning, you know, the basics of everything, you're still going through a process, but it's just a little bit more fluid than say, high school. So up until eighth grade, I had that background, which helped me immensely, because again, it just really supported what my parents wanted me to know is that, you know, if you have an interest, if you have a passion, pursue it, try it. If it fails, try again. And so that was really helpful. And then I went to a pretty large public school um, about, I think my graduating class was like 600 kids. And I came from a school where the seventh and eighth graders, there were 20 of us. So it was a little bit shocking, but it was good. It's a good high school. I went to Jackson High School in Maslin, and I was just able to be a part of the DECA program. And the business program, so I could take college credit as a junior and senior in high school, which introduced me to um, the University of Akron and the business program.
1: Wow, that's a very impressive upbringing, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. It seems like
0: you've been uh, groomed all along the way to make these <laughs> kinds of financial de- uh, smart financial decisions for yourself, and and uh, that's awesome. I feel jealous. I think of, <laughs> of the upbringing that you've had.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and. And it's not like they were, they were never pushy or very strict. It was just, I don't think they really knew what to do like any other parent, but they tried their best and they put me in situations where they would hope that I would thrive and I'd have opportunities. And fortunately, I've just had a lot of influencers in my life, especially educators. Teachers have been one of the the biggest proponents in my life to help me excel wherever I've wanted to, which I think is, is really second to my parents would be just, I'm, I'm a really good student. I like school. And so those teachers that kind of helped me find my niche and find those passions, that's where it really connected.
1: Well, obviously you're a good student and you like school because after graduating college, <laughs> Sonora is, Sonora is um, studying for and taking her CFP in July. Um, so quite possibly when this podcast is, is- is published. Um, and then she's going to take her series seven industry license for the financial services. So, um, <laughs> neither of those are easy tests. No. <laughs> so either, either Sonara is a really good student or she's quite sadistic.
2: <laughs> well, I'm hoping I, I'm a really good student. I only have to take it once and then <laughs> maybe I'll just get to work and not have to be in student mode for a little bit.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So let's touch on money. You, you mentioned that you had some financial experiences or you remember, um, you know some financial circumstances with your parents when you were growing up in in a general sense, what was your concept of money and what were your beliefs on money?
2: Well, from what my parents tell me, from a very young age, I was always very conservative with money. I had like this fascination. um I remember. Some of the first books I was reading were just like small business startups like from kids like those. Before Shark Tank was even Shark Tank, you know, Uh you would actually had books and you read about these really cool students and young kids who uh, just did amazing things and were young entrepreneurs. So I was attracted by that. And then I also remember, I don't know why, but in middle school, I really wanted a CD, like a certificate of deposit. Like Uh That was my goal to get $500. In our, like our little community credit union bank, and to get a CD. So I don't know that that was probably more the innate side of me of just this fiscal conservative, <laughs> and, um, the fascination with investments and money at a young age. And then in my household, uh, money wasn't really talked about in a positive or a negative way. I was fortunate growing up that we were what I think is disappearing today, but what you would consider middle class. Mm-hmm. So we had a substantial, um, I would say, nice home. Uh, like I said, I had great environment for my education. So I was in a really good school district. But along the way, I think even though my parents are educated, they were maybe financially illiterate in some areas. And so that's kind of what led up to that bankruptcy process.
0: Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's not an uncommon thing today. And I think that that's that's a contributor to why we're seeing the middle class disappear is because as John has mentioned on other podcasts, many of us are raised uh, and put through an education system where we're educated on how to make as much money as we possibly can, but we're never educated on how to keep, invest, and grow that money. And uh, it's just something that Fortunately, I think that we have people like you and uh, other educators that are starting to spread that message about being more literate when it comes to your money and spending wisely and consciously.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that because my parents always had, you know, the basic understanding of checking savings. Um, But then, you know, 2008 came and we had a financial advisor and I don't think my parents knew exactly what to look for. They just knew, you know, you just put your money away. You can live off of retirement. But I don't think there was a a real financial plan of like, this is the best case scenario, but they never really thought that worst case scenario until we got there, which was a little too late. And that's one of the reasons why I I want to work with financial advisors, work in the finance industry, because I'm hoping I can step in before you get to that worst case scenario. We can start planning for it and then planning for the best case and hoping for that.
1: Well, that's great. You and the debt free guys are on the same mission. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so obviously, you know, you're a woman. You're from China. You're a daughter of two lesbians. So you're, you're a minority. And from our experience, we think that most people, um, whether you're a straight white male or a minority, most people seem to have limiting money beliefs. Um, you know, there are, there are other percentage that don't have that, but typically those who come from a minority background have Limiting money beliefs. Would you say that's true in your case? And if so, how did that manifest itself?
2: I would say yes and no. Um, growing up, I didn't. I knew I was more fortunate than most people, but I guess you know you hear the rag to riches stories, but not really the opposite. And so I was kind of not the rich, but middle class. To then having no home, you know, and starting back pretty much at square one. So I think that's where it kind of hit me was the more optimistic, you know entrepreneur, you're in America, you can live the American dream, and then it kind of hit, you know, the worst case scenario that could happen. But it, it's actually made me a little bit stronger in the sense that I'm I'm more optimistic. Um, I've been reading more, I've been educating myself even more. And I feel like there are limiting beliefs. But again, I think it's the people that you surround yourself with. And I know if I surround myself with people who are kind of fed into maybe that that sadness of going through bankruptcy, maybe I wouldn't have bounced back so quickly because it was right as I was entering my freshman year of college when I started talking to my professors about a major and they said, you know, what? why not financial planning? Do you want to help people? Do you want to be able to at least know the knowledge you need to be independent? And these were all really good qualities. So I don't know. I think there are limiting beliefs, but I think it's really about the people you surround yourself with and the community you have.
0: That's awesome, Mike. I completely agree with you because I think that uh, for many of us, there's a tendency to want to um, to go to the negative place from time to time. And when you have somebody who uh, kind of either uh, smacks you upside the head or grabs <laughs> you by the shoulders and says, "Let's uh, let's change this and let's do better," and it's one of the things that John and I talk about specifically about the LGBT community is that um, so many of us have been aware of victimization that it can sometimes become confining to our, our community and, and we want to break free from that. We're not victims. We can, we have overcome for the last 45 years. I mean, just the changes that have made, we've made in this country. And there's no reason that we can't just keep propelling ourselves forward and, it kind of sounds like you've kind of got that mentality too of, of when you surround yourself with the positive people and the people who want to do better, you can't help but sometimes be caught up in that fervor of wanting to get moved in, or move in that direction.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And maybe more on the nerdier financial side of me, <laughs> I, I started to learn that the power of compounding. So, you know, my parents went through that, but I don't necessarily have to follow those steps. And I've taken, you know, many steps to move forward. I have a Roth IRA. I just purchased a house, so I'm setting myself up for hopefully financial freedom and independence in the future. And I I know I have a lot more time on my hands to kind of correct that and help other people before they get to that point.
0: Okay, let let me stop you there. You're 21 (laughs) years old. Take it back. (laughs) You're 21 years old. You just graduated a month ago from college. You are. Newer at your job, and you have a Roth IRA, and you've purchased
1: a home. Correct. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, so many millennials. A a very modest
2: home, but yeah, (laughs) I'm taking those next steps.
1: (laughs) Right. That's awesome. So many um, parents of millennials would like to know how did you do that, Sonara? (laughs) Exactly.
0: So uh, let me ask you, what made you want to do that? How did you do that?
2: Well, like I said, it kind of started once we we went through that bankruptcy process. Um, it's a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. But essentially, the house foreclosed, the bank purchased it. And my mom and I had moved just renting a house. And my finance background told me, you know, my mom's going to retire. Maybe she loves working, so maybe never. But <laughs> essentially, she'll hopefully retire and the thought process why are we paying 6 to 800 dollars in living expenses and rent and when i know we can get a house build equity i know the tax write offs and the benefits and essentially i purchased it with the idea that that will maybe be the home she retires in and so that was just the next step it was kind of but more of that positive ending i was talking about you know going from bankruptcy uh, rental houses kind of hitting bottom and then turning it around and hopefully we just continue to go up from here exactly
0: well i i just have to commend you there are so many i think that there are so many people who are in their 20s 30s 40s 50s and 60s who are <laughs> who are very um probably jealous of the path that you're on right now or maybe probably it should some, be inspired
1: by such right
0: slightly jealous of your of your mother that you have they have <laughs> she has a child that is uh,
1: so giving and wants to take care of her <laughs> um so it sounds like you you mentioned it a couple of times I, I would guess that this bankruptcy actually had a very profound but positive experience in your life would you agree
2: yeah looking back at it i think it's probably the best thing that's happened in my life and also definitely the worst so far but after knowing that i think you know, really looking back, maybe when I'm sixty, seventy, it really that'll won't be the worst thing. That'll will probably be one of the highlights because it was just an odd time. It was, you know, that junior senior year of high school where I'm applying to colleges. I'm excited. I had, you know, these dreams of going out of state to big schools, and then I'm really, really fortunate because I loved my time at the University of Akron, and I I really, really loved the finance department, and the educators. So. Had I not had somewhat of a negative experience, I don't think I would have even been remotely close to where I am now. I know I would be in student debt, which is not a good idea. And I wouldn't be, you know, working where I am now with the amazing advisors that I work with and for. So I think right now it's a really positive experience because I wouldn't have worked. I probably wouldn't have even bought a house. I would have had no reason. So I think it's one of the most positive experiences I've had the fact, maybe if you had asked me four years ago, I might not have had the same response.
1: Interesting, but I, I think that's powerful because you know a lot of us find ourselves in difficult situations. We, we lose a job, or we're in a bad relationship, or whatever, and we can let us let it consume us. But there's also an opportunity there to do something positive with it. And it, and it sounds like you know what would be one of the darkest days in some people's lives, or years in some people's lives, turned out to be. Um, very positive for you. So I I think that's inspiring as well as the, uh, you know, the initiative that you've taken to in your career. Thank you. Sonara, would you mind telling us a little bit more about your
0: experience of going to school to become a financial planner and then your transition to working with MassMutual?
2: Yeah. So my freshman year in college, I had chosen, I knew I wanted to be a finance major and we have a couple different tracks at the university of Akron, one being corporate finance, which is, you know, working for larger or smaller company statements. And then we had financial planning track. And so I thought corporate finance all the way. And then I met Professor Gratisher at the University of Akron and she kind of sued me to this really, really unique opportunity to be a part of this new thing called a CFP program. And at that point, EFAs, lawyers, I hadn't quite come across that designation yet. So. I was kind of interested, and then, like I said, once she started talking to me about what that career path could look like, it, it was really, really open. It was anything from investment banking to working with clients to counseling. So I figured that would oh, just open so many doors. So I decided to double major in corporate finance and financial planning. <laughs> and another pivotal moment, which I think is important, I I think you met Karina Diamond at the Women in Diversity Symposium. Yes. And I I talked to her, and I don't think she remembers this, but seems so long ago. But my sophomore year, when I was talking to Professor gratisher she said, Karina Diamond, she's one of the top financial planners we have in Northeast Ohio. She's a great woman. She's a great advisor. She's someone that you should go listen to her speak. And so Karina had this Flourish event, which is for her clients who are women, and for them to come in kind of like a client appreciation dinner, but more of an education counseling session. And so I went to that and I saw a room full of women. I saw educated women with financial literacy, with financial independence, and it just clicked. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's the people you surround yourself. That's a real part. I've been very lucky in my life to align myself with people who've shown me just tremendous opportunities like that.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome. We did meet Karina and she is a, an amazing woman and what she's doing and and what she's doing for the University of Akron and what she's doing for women in general is just incredible. Um we mentioned uh what her scholarship for the University of Akron in one of them, the articles we wrote for Forbes. Um so she's having a massive impact on a lot of women's lives and it's nice to talk to someone else who is, she has done so much for.
1: Yeah, and and Karina was listed on Forbes as one of the one of the top advisors in the country. Um, male and female. So that's, um, that's, that's, she's a great mentor to have.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the, I think my favorite part about the University of Akron, my college experience is the faculty members and the community members. You have so many alumni who just come back and they're just want to give their time. They want to talk to students. They have this kind of click of, you know, we're from Akron, we want to help Akron students. And it's a school you probably would have never heard of. But it really is a great community to be a part of.
0: Definitely,
1: yeah. And we'll second that. Our first opportunity to visit University of Akron was when we were there for the symposium, and um, we got an, an amazing tour of the campus. Um, we saw, met a lot of amazing people. So we would definitely reiterate that. But I, you know, I think there's a perception of financial planning or uh, the uh, financial services world that it's sort of eat dog. It's banking. It's you know, heavy stock trading. Um, were those your initial thoughts too?
2: Yeah. So when I first understood, or I guess I didn't understand completely what financial planning was, my idea of it was my initial curiosity with investments and seeing, you know, those t- you see on CNBC, you see movies where they're just trading stocks. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that looks awesome. That's, it before I even knew what financial planning was, I thought that was the only route that you could go. And so mm-hmm. I was really naive in that sense until I started you know, working at a broker dealer in the back office and learning all of these other roles like compliance, legal, and really seeing what the field I think there are some companies out there that might be structured like that, but there's a lot of other companies where you have the flexibility to work as a team, something that's more cohesive and maybe not as competitive or commission-based as some other companies. But I I think there's a lot you can do within financial planning.
1: Absolutely. And I think with financial planning, and correct me if, if you disagree, It seems, though, the last several years, it's kind of morphed from like a client-financial advisor kind of relationship. It almost kind of evolved into sort of a life coach relationship in some aspect because you're helping families create holistic financial plans that include insurance, that include estate planning, that include investing for for the near term as well as the long term. Um, And sometimes that requires some coaching, especially when the market is down. (laughs) Um, Sometimes that also requires a lot of... Understanding who your clients are because oftentimes they come to you with questions or needs, but what they're saying is not exactly what they mean, so you have to really learn how to you know, peel back the layer almost like as if you're a therapist.
2: I guess I'll go back to maybe your first question because I initially I guess I had more of a negative connotation of what financial planning is because of the bankruptcy process and because you know I thought my family had a financial advisor, how could we go through this? You know what went wrong? But again, it was more of a learning experience of how I want to build, you know, the role I'm in now and how I want to see this practice succeed. And that is by building relationships, counseling, doing a full financial plan. And I think that's a positive place where the industry is going. It's not going to be just the one-off sales of insurance or, you know, you need a couple stocks here or there. I think we're getting to the point where it's more of a counseling position. And that's something that I believe is a positive direction.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There was just a a study done that showed, I mentioned this on a podcast that we were on uh, last week, that people who have a financial planner tend to have 32% more investment income than those that don't. and They're more than likely to have Fifteen more additional financial services products, such as a retirement account, such as life insurance or long-term care insurance, than those that don't. So I don't know if what comes first, the chicken or the egg, <laughs> but it seems like you know if people who have a financial planner tend to tend to do better. You might want to consider getting a financial planner.
0: Right. I, I also think I'm, I'm just going to go back to the fact that you you work with Mass Mutual and we know Mass Mutual did a study recently about the lasting legacy of what you want to do with your life and how you want that to how that plays a role in your financial planning and one of the things this study brought out was that there's a significant number of lgbt people who do not have a financial plan for their legacy uh, whether that's a will or an estate for themselves to take care of their their spouse or partner or to carry that on even into the future so like you said, there's this little bit of a kind of a counseling and coaching, the opportunities to be able to help people learn and benefit from all of those different tools that are available to them. is really kind of the positive aspect that or the positive effect that you can have being a financial advisor these days or a financial planner.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I, It's, it's really hard because the advisor we had didn't really encompass that full holistic planning, but I, I think it's so important especially LGBT community, because I know growing up, I don't think many professionals in general knew how to properly service my family and my parents. I think there was a lot, there, there was kind of that knowledge gap of when we went to do taxes with the CPA, how do you plan for that? When we talk to the financial advisor, you know, what does that look like when you're listing your accounts, how are the beneficiaries listed to, again, I, think I first talked to my parents about a will, maybe when I started the program of two, three years ago, just kind of seeing what they did before. And luckily, nothing tragic ever happened. But I don't know if back then the right, the right documents or the right process would be in place. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely important that there's that education gap and planning gap for the LGBT community.
1: Absolutely. And therein lies why we have this podcast to talk about the financial nuances of the LGBT community. So even though same-sex marriage passed in June of 2015, there are still some unique concerns and considerations. <laughs> right. And we have we
0: will most likely have champions like you. <laughs> so Absolutely. we appreciate that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that leads me to my next question as we're wrapping this up. what is uh, What does Sonara's
2: career look like? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I'm just so focused on studying for the CFP in Series 7. I've just like not, I've had tunnel vision since graduation. just have <laughs> worked really hard towards that. But even, I know I want to stay in the financial planning industry. I'm a true student at heart. So I know in the next few years, I'll either go back to graduate school or law school. I'm just one of those people who just loves school and continual education. So I might maybe become a teacher in the financial planning in- industry, Might be a professional five, 10 years from now, maybe on the legal side. I'm not quite sure. I really enjoy working for Mass Mutual and I love the team members I work with. So I'm very happy with where I'm at right now. But I know school is definitely in the future.
1: That's awesome. And it sounds like you you have a wealth of knowledge already. So what advice would you share or teach to some of our younger listeners who might um, currently be students or thinking about going into college? What advice would you share about money or college?
2: What was really impactful for me at my college, the University of Akron, is just the scholarship and financial aid process. Without that, I would not have been able to go to college or get an education. And so I think there's a lot of maybe don't take full advantage of that. And I know um, actually at my school, I maxed out my scholarship. So I was I could technically be awarded one, but not receive the money because I've had too many scholarships. And I think that's a that's a great problem to have. I'm <laughs> very fortunate to have that problem. It shows you how many people don't apply for things because they think it's either too hard or you have to write an essay. Maybe you're not the best writer. I know I'm not the best writer, but I think the more chances I just, I put an application together and I put my name out there, the more chances I had to get a yes. And every now and then you get a no and that's okay. But I think that's a really important lesson I think I've learned kind of how to hack that financial aid process and how to get the most out of your money because I was also very fortunate enough to pay for my study abroad trips um, through that process. Secondly, I, I would recommend contributing to a Roth IRA. I'm a big proponent of that. Again, here's my nerdy side, but I'll sit there and I'll you know say, worst case scenario, 2% compound, for in my 60s. You'd be surprised even with $5 a week or $10 a week. Um, so I'm a big proponent about just saving now and making sure you're smart about your your debt to asset ratio. Because I have credit cards, but I make sure I never pay interest. I just use that free money for 30 days and pay it off in full. I think those simple things, especially with millennials and other students my age, are going into college like student debt. I took out I have one loan for five thousand five hundred dollars, and I actually just did the calculation uh, this week that if I pay it off now, it would actually be a disadvantage. If I pay $50 a month and let the money sit in the bank, it's going to compound faster than what they're actually charging me. And mm-hmm. that's because I got a subsidized loan, which the government pays the interest while you're in school. So you basically borrow money. But you again, you have to be careful about that because if you're not disciplined, then you do have debt You know, 10 years from now. But I think it's really looking into the details. And if you can sit down with someone or a financial planner or even someone who's really good at Excel, because half the stuff I do is just in Excel. <laughs> for my but yeah, those those would just be a, a few of the advice that I would specifically give college students. But if you're not going to college, same mentality, save and save and save. So you don't have to work until you're 85 and you don't have debt, you know, that you can't afford. Live within your means. And I think that was one of the great experiences of going through what I've gone through is because I've learned. You Know every time something kind of negative happened, I learned to live on a little bit of less, a little bit less, and a little bit less. And you realize it's not that impossible to live on such a small amount of income when you really have to. Yeah,
1: I recommend this book a lot. It's called The Four Principles of a Debt Free Life. <laughs> that's, and what's our prin- book? <laughs> one of the principles is live below your means. Definitely. Yeah. So that's a great yeah. plug from a great educated. Financial planner. (laughs) So, uh, well, thank you, Sonara. This has been such an interesting conversation, giving us both an insight into what it was like to grow up in a a two mommy household, as well as uh, you know, get someone, a young woman, getting into financial planning. Both, um, both aspects of your story are very interesting, and I don't doubt that you will do whatever you want to (laughs) do when you decide what you want to do.
2: Thank you very much for having me on, guys.
1: Thank you, Sonara, for sharing your very personal story with us. You are an impressive woman who no doubt will help many people with your expertise and experience with money. As you, our listeners, no doubt noticed, Sonara works for Mass Mutual because Mass Mutual supports women in financial planning. Mass Mutual also supports the LGBT community. If you need financial assistance, please visit massmutual.com. Who knows? You may get to work with Sonara. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.com money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef, who made all me all my coffee meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> uh.